Hello everyone, Sarah Hanchar here with a brand new episode of Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. And today's episode is all about the beautiful, gorgeous, fantastical, bizarre, and often ridiculous world of B-movies with my friend Tim Harahan. We do some deep dives into some of our favorite classic B-movies, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Throughout the episode, you're going to hear me say, oh my my God, about 500 times, and you're going to hear this sound. That's me slapping my forehead as Tim tells these unbelievable plots and stories and incredible things that all take place in these lovely, gorgeous B-movies. Now, when I say that I love B-movies, I mean it down to my bones that I love B-movies. I like how crazy they are. I like how they they take risks and chances. And do they pay off? No, not always, but sometimes they do. And that is the joy of the B. And to quote Tim, finding the spirit spirit of the bee. As an added bonus, at the end of the episode, I have added the song Dumachale, Dumachale. You'll understand what that means later near the end of the episode. It's from Doom 2, Doom Once Again, and it's an incredible film and it has a really great soundtrack. So I'm like, you know what? Let's listen to the opening title song because it's really catchy. It's really great. And part of it is played with honking car horns. So how was I not going to share that with you? Hey, speaking of sharing, do you know what I think is super nice? When you share these episodes with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your colleagues, your colleagues, um, ask the puppies, hey, do you want to listen to something nice? Because I think uh, sharing is super great. Also, if you can rate, review, subscribe, hey, head on over to my Facebook page because you can review me right there. You're on Facebook anyway, right? Sure. So head on over to I Think You're Nice. Yep, it's just I Think You're Nice and go over to Facebook and give me a review there. That would be super awesome. If you have an iPhone, look at you having an iPhone. Good for you. Head on over to iTunes. It's super easy. Go to iTunes, look up, hi, I think you're nice. That's me. That's this podcast. You're listening to it right now. And give me five stars or a rating or a review or both. Or Yeah, that would be super swell. Thank you. As always, you can find me at ithinkyournice.com. You can email me at sarah at ithinkyournice.com. I'm on Instagram, I think you're nice. Facebook, like I mentioned, I think you're nice. And of course, occasionally, very rarely, when the moon is just right and the the stars align, I do tweet occasionally at I think you're nice. So, hey, there it is. That's the good stuff. And I can't wait for you to jump in, enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it with Tim and <laughs> reliving some of our favorite B-movie moments. So enjoy, hop in. Oh, 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 for realsies, go to Facebook because I'm posting a lot of supplemental information because there are some things that we can describe them as well as we can, but there's nothing quite as good as seeing the real deal with your own eyeball. So head on over to Facebook. I think you're nice to see the extra information. I posted some trailers. I'm going to post some videos and various things. So, okay. Okay. That's all you need to know. Let's go. Woo. Hi, I think you're nice. Why? Hi, I think you're nice. Let's have a seat and let's have a nice time. I think you're nice. So let's chat. So let's chat. So let's chat. I think you're nice. So let's chat. Do 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 do. Hi. 
Hi! Welcome to Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. My name is Sarah Hanshar. I am your host. And today in the studio, I have Tim Harahan. Hi, Tim! Howdy! Howdy! We are going to talk about the joys of B-movies. Oh, there are many. There are so <laughs> many joys and... um I I've worked with Tim uh, at the at UP Unexpected Productions. Ooh, there goes my phone noises. Where is my phone? Is it in my butt? It is in my butt. Sorry, listeners. Mm. I'm gonna. <laughs> uh, it's tough so, having a butt phone. So rude to have a phone. My bad. My B. Okay, so <laughs> Tim and I work together at Unexpected Productions. He's actually with my scene partner for my audition. Yeah. So you're like one of the first people I knew here in this here town. No, it was good times. Really good times. We both got into the company. So yeah. well done you. Well done you. Thanks for, thank you for being a friend. Um, anyone who knows what it's like to uh, audition for an improved, improvised anything knows that your scene partner is very important for a lot of reasons, because you, yeah, you really count on your buddy to be a buddy. And uh, it can be really tricky. So yeah, you I, were a great scene partner. Well, thank you. I, I actually still remember that one. Me too. Yeah. We, we were cops. And I had shoplifted to give you a snack. <laughs> that was so kind of you. And we just opened up. I just remember the line coming out somewhere in the middle of that. I may not deserve you. And I may not deserve justice, but we both deserve an answer. Who said that? Did you say that? I think. I awesome. just remember it popped out in the middle and there was this little snort from someone, one of the auditioners who never, you <gasps> almost never hear him laugh. And I was like, we got the snort. Yes. This is going well. Yay. Also, it's fun and yay. Yay. I remember gently kicking over. I wanted to do a big dramatic because it was Oscar winning scene was the, mm -hmm. was the game we were playing. And I wanted to kick over the chair or kick over the, the cube. But I, I pretended to and then I gently like laid it down on its side so that way it wouldn't hurt the prop. And Which is um, deeply you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm trying to say here is Tim is great. And here we are. You like B-movies. Or do you like B-movies? Yeah. I don't spend tons of time on them. Sure. So people think I see much more than I have. Oh. But the thing of it is, there's... I kind of love surprise. I love that bit of novelty. Mm -hmm. And you look at a lot of A-budget things. You look at a lot of mainline things. You don't see a ton of crazy experimentation. True. If you see experimentation, you're super happy. But you're never going to see somebody who sits there and thinks, you know, remember that joke we made about a trailer title and we thought Velocipaster would be fun? <laughs> what if we actually made Velocipaster about a priest who's cursed to turn into a dinosaur and is talked into fighting ninjas for good? Which I found out yesterday is actually a thing. Oh my god. <laughs> like, people are willing to try all kinds of crazy stuff. Sure. And a lot of it doesn't work. Sure. But uh, I remember, you know, video stores used to be a big thing. Mm -hmm. right? You would have all of the movies on the shelves. And there were some movies which were just put together so that they would have a title that you could never forget. And eventually, True. even if it's rated R, eventually... You would rent it to find out what the heck was going on. Mm -hmm. Like I still remember opening a TV guide and seeing somewhere on slightly non-basic cable, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. Oh. I'm like, that 
is an amazing title. It has no. avocados in it. And jungles. Also death. <laughs> oh, and also death. I'm going to focus on the avocados. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, one of those kinds of movies was this thing called Surf Nazis Must Die. Oh, they and must. The surfing. The surfing. They're, <laughs> they're distressingly good surfers, which allows them to threaten the waves. No. Yes. They threaten the waves? But there are others on the beach, and in those others there is hope. Oh, thank goodness. But it was this, I, I finally, like, on a slow night in my 20s, I'm like, I'm going to find out what's in this thing. Mm -hmm. And what's in this thing was 99.9% .9 forgettable. Okay. But there were two moments that I still remember of really cool cinematography. There was just this really nifty image. And I'm sitting there, sat back a little bit thinking, your surf Nazis must die. Everything about this movie has been exactly the level of quality you would expect <laughs> from yeah. a movie whose – this was a title that people would pick up if they're bored. Congratulations, you figured me out. Yeah. I was bored enough to try. But there were these two moments in the middle that were beautiful and unexpected. Huh. Like what? Uh, there had been one shot where you have two of our surf Nazi villains talking – about how they are certain they are going to be able to overcome the way all of the other surfer gangs, all of which are ridiculously over-the-top themed, mm -hmm. are coming together against them. Oh, dear. And they cut to a camera panned back. Mm -hmm. And you see that you knew there was graffiti behind these people. They're standing in front of a concrete wall. Sure. But what you only see when they pan back is that the graffiti is uh, the face of a black man shouting loud and strong, and our worst Nazi is precisely framed up in the middle of the mouth. Ah. It's like, this is visually cool on point story-wise. powerful. And you would not expect this from the middle of it. No, you wouldn't. And it's the fact that you have these moments you would never expect. Yeah. But here's something which is willing to 123% commit <laughs> to whatever the heck the crazy idea is is yeah and because they're willing to try stuff they find things you would never expect and every once in a while i'll give something a chance because of the chance of that surprise sure you know there was this stretch in college where when i was first starting to properly teach myself about storytelling a good friend of mine from high school was telling me that i should come catch up with her and some of her new friends at an anime club Okay, and fun. I actually made this a little bit of a story study regime for me because mm -hmm. I would make a rule for myself. Uh, if you like something, then you should see it. But afterwards, you should be able to point at one thing that made that half hour work or not work for you. Okay, interesting. And, and if you didn't like something, you could only stop going to it when you stopped seeing new things that weren't working for you. Oh, okay. Just keep digging until the mine is played out. <laughs> that's which, a that's a hearty commitment. <laughs> I I was a weird kid. <laughs> I mean, I'll do stuff like that. And honestly, it's a great incentive. Like Magic Knight's Ray Earth is not working for me. I think this was made for ten year olds. I am not a ten year old Japanese girl. Mm -hmm. Sorry, 
This isn't really going anywhere. I've stopped seeing new things that don't work. I'm going to go outside and do homework and catch up with Dan. Okay. <laughs> Genuine thought process. Genuine thought process. But this was also a thing where I had wandered back into the room as they got to the finale of that. And I still remember finally finding out the big twist of their first season and thinking, this was a really cool piece of plot. Hmm. And I had checked out. But the fact that, yeah. you know, being willing to take a chance on stuff for the unexpected thing, mm -hmm. being willing to take a chance on stuff, that for me, being an audience that's not coming from a place of reverence, I'm just here to explore and yeah. see where the fun is and where the new stuff is. And for the maker of a thing, being willing to try something new. Sure. I'll talk sometimes about the spirit of the B-movie. And for me, that's just, you're willing to try stuff. You're willing to do that crazy chronology thing that Memento does. You're willing to be everything about Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> which on paper should not work at all. Yeah. But they commit to it so hard that yeah. it does. So much of uh, what I love about B-movies is that commitment. And uh, real quick, as a as a, just an overview of like what 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 is a B-movie, it is a lower budget movie and that's pretty much the only definition of it is that it's a lower budget movie it tends to be in the horror or thriller kind of realm but that is absolutely um a huge gate is open for the world of b so it's maybe not quite as well written maybe not quite as well acted definitely doesn't have the budget definitely doesn't have like the star caliber in it necessarily sometimes these things uh are launching points for people um, or shameful, shameful yeah. memories for some artists oh. and actors. <laughs> the, the best thing I ever saw in a barbershop waiting room was this big, long profile on The Asylum, which okay. is a movie studio that I think I want to say started in the 90s when video stores, mm -hmm. right, you wouldn't always remember exactly what movie you were there for. So the asylum oh. got started by trying to make the movie whose box looked like a much bigger deal at the same time. Oh. There's a movie about Frosty the Snowman. Great. We're going to make Jack Frost. <laughs> uh, and they will still oh do God. this stuff. These are the people who responded to Pacific Rim with Atlantic Rim. Yes. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> then they, they got a bunch of money from the sci-fi channel and the aughts to start churning out these B-movies, mm -hmm. which is like all the commitment and nothing else. And there's this one moment where the interviewer is talking to this actor who's explaining that, yeah, for me, I come, I do a fun thing for a couple weeks. It's nice. I mean, this is going to let me finally uh, fix up the deck on the back of my house. But you see people who are career Hollywood and they come here and they know what they're in and they just look so sad. It's not, it's not a deck to them. Oh, it's not a deck to them. But for that guy, you know, this is, is someone who's talking like that. Would you expect this person to be a hardcore professional in the arts? He's going to show up. He's going to have a good time. He's going to try stuff. And you got a little bit of perspective that you don't usually see in a theater. And honestly, that is a professional way to be like, no, totally. I'm here to do a job and I'm going to do that job and have a good time while doing it. Yeah. And is this going to win me an Academy Award? No. Might it be something I maybe leave off my resume? Well, it depends on how it cuts into my reel. We'll find that out later. <laughs> I mean, if I'm the Admiral who gets to command the battleship USS Debbie Gibson before it is attacked by Megashark, 
And one of the few survivors to get off is hero Sonar Man, science officer Jaleel Michael White, Sonar Man First Class, the only person who knows what a mega shark sounds like in the water. Who no one believed until it was too late. Yeah, I only made it about 12 minutes into Megashark versus Crocosaurus, but I am not making <laughs> any of this up. <laughs> Megashark versus Crocosaurus. Yeah, and you want to know how Megashark, in order to save money, Megashark attacks a battleship okay. by jumping over the battleship, and as it's almost all the way over... Bapping it with the back of its tail. Because that way, you don't have to CG anything under stuff, which is hard. Yes. You just need to put smoke above the tail bap. Oh, wow. Wow. That's also very efficient for the shark, for their energy. Yeah, you that, know? that shark is getting its steps in. Yeah. Just if that's a thing things with fins did. Yeah, <laughs> it's getting its, its gills in. That... Oh, God, I knew you'd be a great guest for this, Tim, because I can't recall anything with that kind of clarity ever. Even after watching it five minutes ago, I'm often left with, what was that? This what? is a mixed blessing. What was that? <laughs> oh, my God. B-movies came to you in your in your teenage years, kind of, just out of boredom of what's on TV. I know that's where a lot of my B-movie love comes from. It's just like I had vaguely, well, first we had zero cable. We had like the basics. And then occasionally like, was it TNT or the USA Network? The USA Network used to have the most horrible (laughs) things, but because it was the only, I didn't have Disney or Nickelodeon or any of those. So like the USA was where it was at for me and it was bad. It was so bad. Wasn't that the network that actually hosted Baywatch nights when they decided to stop patrolling the beach and start patrolling the world? Oh God. I stumbled across the back (laughs) 20 minutes of one, which was David Hasselhoff in a leather jacket time traveling to keep an alternate universe from blowing things up and it was like someone had seen Baywatch and seen the X-Files and somehow gotten David Hasselhoff anyway yes but they were willing to try willing that willingness to try (laughs) dang it and that's what's that's what's important so many of these movies they actually have like really beautiful or interesting themes to them they're just done in a herky-jerky, I'm kind of broke, and maybe I haven't thought about the dialogue exactly, but I know what the message I want it, I want the message oh. to be. And Have you ever heard of the documentary Worst Movie Ever? No. Uh, no. Was so, it about the room? Uh, no, it's okay. about Troll 2. And if, oh. you, if you stop halfway through, it's an amazing, uplifting comedy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so pro tip for I Think You're Nice listeners, do watch Worst Movie Ever. Also, stop halfway through. Oh, okay. No, Because uh, you start off and you're talking to people who are very much in that attitude of, yeah, I thought I wanted to be an actor once, so I went off and made a movie. <laughs> and then I thought, this was not what I expected. Mm. So now I'm married, I'm a dentist, I have a thriving practice, and a couple times a year I go to conventions and we all laugh about this crazy thing I did 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, cool. Yeah. Come on. Nice outcome. And then halfway through... They go and they start talking to the couple who made the movie. This woman so badly wanted to wake the world up to the dangers of self-righteous, hypocritical vegans. That was her message with Troll 2? 
That's why the trolls make you eat their food, causing you to turn into a plant so they can eat you. Yes, that sound is the mind of everyone who has ever made it through Troll 2. Uh, and if you only eat a little bit of their food, you don't turn into a plant very quickly. Okay. So they'll want to capture you and put you in a very large pot of dirt <laughs> to slowly become more like a tree. Okay. Okay, this is tracking a little bit. Well done, your passion. Also, spoiler alert, there are no trolls in Troll 2. No! The town of Nilbog is populated entirely by shape-shifting goblins who have hidden behind a town, which is goblin backwards. Oh my god. Don't go on a road trip there, everybody. What? Not like our heroes. What will happen if you go there? Well, if you go there, people might try to get you to eat mysterious green substances, mm -hmm. but... If you are haunted by the loving ghost of a benevolent grandparent, you might have a chance. Oh my god. Again. Right, I need to write down Troll 2 yeah. as something that I need to see immediately. Oh, the comments on this episode are going to warn you against so many things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, don't spend 90 minutes. And I'm just like, don't go alone. Okay, yeah, get bring friends. a buddy. Yeah, get friends, maybe a bottle of wine. Okay. It, part of the thing that I think is fun and freeing with the idea of the bee is that, as an audience, you're not expected to approach it from reverence. Yes. You actually uh, – I sent Tim some questions I'd be throwing at him, you know, my hard-hitting questions like, why do you like it? Uh, and he said, well, what about uh, audience expectations? How is it different – um, or how is the audience experience different from that of a B movie from an A movie? And that's a great point because you're sitting down for something that, you know, is different. It's not going to be, you know, yeah. up for an Academy Award. It's not going to be the big blockbuster necessarily. Um, it's this beautiful, weird thing that is best. You're right. Shared with friends. You get to be social during it. It's okay to talk during a movie. Mm-hmm. When the goblins are hiding in Nilbog in a box labeled troll. Wow. When for the rest of us, it's just like, well, here's a movie it's okay to talk during. And we can totally <laughs> yuck it up and have a great time with that. But I, I really think so much of what makes a B-movie is this combination of it has enough of the courage of its convictions to try something mm -hmm. wherever the heck that goes. <laughs> and... You don't feel that I have to sit quietly in the theater for the benefit of others. Mm -hmm. I can have fun with this. And that's not the kind of respect that people are used to. But it's a willingness to look at things. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. And sometimes a B movie can jump in the other direction. And so much craftsmanship and heart can go into it mm -hmm. that it starts turning back into what you would see as an A movie. And if you showed it to a room full of people, they might start getting quiet because it's like, no, th this has brought me back mm -hmm. to that theater courtesy. I saw the Brian Cranston Godzilla movie on a yeah. plane a while back. And I was like, this is just a straight up good movie. Yeah. I expected enthusiasm. I expected monster effects, but like, doggone it, I want that guy to have the same touching family reunion that two refugee couples and the evil monsters have had. I know! 
Spoilers. Sorry. Oh, I know. I love... So often we think what the lesson always is, is we're the real monster. Like, that's always what the... That's always what it is. Like, oh, yeah. whatever the monster is, is not the monster. We're, we being, like, the the humans in this film are almost always the real monster. Um, but I love, I love monsters. I like big, mm-hmm. scary monsters. I like cute little monsters. And um, so many of these monster flicks have just really great monsters or not great monsters, but are still fun. It's like, wow, look at the puppetry on that, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can st- I can see where the hand goes. <laughs> What's that creature from the Black Lagoon zipper? Oh, I'm gonna... Yeah. If I can remember... Dang it, I should have I should have read the article. Read the article, Sarah. Um, it was a lady who created... Mm-hmm. Um, do you know anything about that by any chance? Uh, I know that it was a woman who initially designed and created the suit and i from what i understand there you know if you're looking at times when big budget lots of eyes on them a productions don't have room mm-hmm. for somebody based on gender based on you name it true the scruffy little productions are living in a different world yeah with a very different landscape of opportunity and you look at it now and it's like that content is terrible but there's also that factor of these people had work and got to practice their craft and yeah. take those skills off to whatever they wanted to do afterwards. True. Fair enough. Good, bad, net win. I don't know. I just look at it with a very strong, the world is weird. <laughs> but if you can make your way in it, power to you. <laughs> when when we watch a, a bad movie, if it's a well-funded bad movie, I get very annoyed because I'm like, oh, a billion spent on this. Blah. Um, but Patrick's always like, you know, craft services, makeup, hair, <laughs> costume, set, stunt, all of those things. I'm like, absolutely. That's a really good point. There's all these pockets of the world in or out of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Did the people who made Gojira in Japan expect coming up with monster puppets and giant rubber suits to be an ongoing thing, let alone... Now, closing in on three, four generations yeah. of having this. I mean, there's a, a delightful picture uh, of the three people who were in the Godzilla suits in oh, the yeah? old toy movies, uh, all going down a sidewalk side by side in their street clothes, but all doing what they would do inside the suit. Oh my God, I it's want just, that picture. Yeah, it's to all of them doing their monster walks. Oh my God. <laughs> You know, if you weren't willing to take a chance on your idea that the best way to tell a parable about the dangers of nuclear testing, Mm -hmm. the risks of war, the prospect that nature is beyond you for all of your science, and the best way to do that is to put a man in a rubber suit in a model of Tokyo. It's like, props to you. I would not have thought of that in a million years, but you did and look at what it built. Yeah. I mean, again, that's the, the 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 original classic example of the real monster is us, because we created Godzilla. It is a creative way of expressing a viewpoint that definitely wouldn't occur to most people, I think. No. Yeah. But it's also, you know, a good chunk of my childhood was in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And if you were a, a geek, you know, the, you were the nerdy kid then. You weren't the geeky kid yet. That yeah, came later. Yeah, you were just a nerdy kid. I got you. You're the nerdy kid. A bunch of what you would see on TV is actually imported. It's 
other cultures' science fiction stories. Mm. Robotech was redubbed Japanese material. A bunch of cartoons were redubbed Japanese material. And that's even before you get into uh, toys and what have you. But yeah. here's this place where you know, we're, we're so used to the idea in the U.S. of other people get our entertainment. Look at all of the crazy things that happen when English is dubbed into other languages. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if you're a nerdy kid in the 80s, you're getting that experience in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And you're getting to see a very different culture's take on storytelling and take on visuals. Yeah. You could tell in a heartbeat if you were looking at a Japanese cartoon because the treatment of war would be very different. They would allow it far more weight. Really? In G.I. Joe. Uh-huh. Stuff explodes, but no one is ever actually hurt unless it's a plot point named character. Sure. You look at any of the old Robotech series, mm-hmm. you know, you'll have the point where a space battle starts and they will show you the ships melting in the background. They will show you, you know, the great big cannon shots lancing out and the bursts of things in the distance and oh, give you enough context dang. to feel feel weight on that. And, you know, if I wasn't willing to give stuff a chance, mm-hmm. would I have clocked that? Would I have noticed that? Yeah. There's a certain broadening in knowing that you're not just getting one culture stuff growing up, that it is a bigger world and you, you should be giving things a chance and seeing what's out there. Yeah. Even knowing that sometimes it's going to be just ridiculous yeah, or bad. Yeah, going to be going to be out there yeah. some of it and i'm talking a lot here how did you find this stuff <laughs> but i invited you as my guest and i'm happy to accept <laughs> this is my guest special technique host guest go <laughs> no um i'm hearing you speak about it is actually really lovely because you come at it at such a one of my questions for you was like do you love watch it or hate watch it because it's really popular to hate watch stuff mm-hmm. like um, and then you, you know, you tweet crabby things all the long, all along the way, um, which is very funny to do, of course. Totally. Um, and sure, that's what we're all doing when we're making comments, but there are these like genuinely cool moments and beautiful things that are happening within these movies. And it's nice to hear you speak about them reverently and, it never even occurred to me that a lot of these things, yes, are from other countries and other cultures, and I hadn't even really thought about that as uh, as being exposed to that. Um, now, to answer your question, so I guess I've I've always had a taste for um, uh, grown up movies and uh, darker movies, and like I said, I love monsters. Mm-hmm. I like things that are on the outskirts of things. I like things that I can tease and make fun of. I think that's fun. And um, honestly, I'm going to give most of the credit to my uh, cousin Cindy because she had Comedy Channel before it was a comedy network. And they would run MST3K nonstop, (laughs) like four episodes in a row. And Mm -hmm. that's like eight hours of material. Mm -hmm. That's four different terrible movies. And so... You know, watching these plots and seeing these costumes and hearing the dialogue and all oh, the terrible monsters. And oh my gosh, I remember thinking that was the funniest thing on earth. And that it was um, also 
really creative. You didn't see all that stuff in in A list movies. Yeah. Like you said, once you get to a certain echelon, like the, the there's so many safety nets there because it has to perform well. It needs to do well. That there aren't the risk taking and challenge making, and so that's where yeah, my love of of B, <laughs> my love of B comes from. What about B movies speaks to you? We've kind of gone over it a bit. Is there anything else you'd like to add? In that spirit of the B movie. I don't have to be reverent. I just have to be here and see what there is. Then if I can break it down and see something interesting that I haven't seen before. Cool. If I can have a social experience. Cool. If it surprises me by being good. Mm -hmm. Cool. There are all of these different ways that it could work. And the odds that it will work in at least one of those are better than you'd think. The social aspect of it, mm-hmm. which is something that you've you've mentioned a number of times, and I really like it. I've never once considered it. I mean, I guess I have in that it's fun to jibber-jab and make fun and tease with your buddies and, like, what they notice, what you notice. Um, but that actually is, for you, a part of what makes a B-movie is to have that opening up social chitter-chatter teasing time. Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have fond memories of being late in high school and my brother and I had rented Mortal Kombat the movie. Oh my god. <laughs> which had just thoroughly disappointed us. Yeah. I watched that at a sleepover. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad even a child, even as a child I knew. Oh, I know. I'm just envisioning like you know, you you are happy pink girl and I'm envisioning happy pink sleepover <laughs> with Scorpion and Luke. <laughs> Well, it was at Stacy's house, and it was in her basement, wood paneling. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had just been very disappointed, uh-huh. because Mortal Kombat does not quite have the courage of its convictions. It's not going to stand up and 110% own the crisis that is the Shadow Realm invasion of our oh, reality. Yes. Let alone the importance of punching a four-armed person and making it go away. <laughs> God. Sadly, not making any of that up. But we hit How do you remember these things so well, Tim? Are they just in your brain for all time? Or do you revisit these movies? No, I don't revisit. I'm not much of a rewatcher. Moments stick and they get broke down in catalog and then they're in there. (laughs) Your brain must be full of so many good things and these things. (laughs) Yes, there are multiple edges to the sword, kids. We've just turned off Mortal Kombat. Great. And we find ourselves maybe 15 minutes into the sci-fi presentation of Lair of the White Worm, which was all the B-movie we could have hoped for and more. Lair of the White Worm? An early 80s Scottish horror film based on Bram Stoker's other big idea. (laughs) The White Worm? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Starring Hugh Grant. No. As, uh, I don't remember his name, but he is a Scottish lord who inherits a castle near Dunstan in the legend of the Dunstan Worm. And that castle, his neighbor is now Lady Sylvia, who, spoiler alert, is high priestess and queen of the evil snake people. God. If they bite you, you turn into one of them. Even if you have a glass eye, which means that when your eyes change color to show that you are now in evil snake mode, apparently this dude just thought like, well, I'm a snake person. Guess I'm going to paint the other side of my eye that way. And then when it's time to turn, I'll match. Oh, what? 
also starring Peter Capaldi, future Doctor Who, yes, as a man we referred to as Angus the Wonder Scott. <laughs> because it turns out, kids, that if you need to protect yourself from snakes, well, snakes can be charmed. All music causes any snake person in the vicinity to do a terrible, funky chicken dance, no matter the circumstance, which is why Angus goes 120% stereotype when, in kilt and sporin, playing bagpipes, God. he storms the fortress of the snake people, knowing that the bagpipes will make their attempts to kill him highly inefficient. I... Am dumbstruck. This is a movie in which someone seeking the lair of the snake people in the basement of their castle will reach into the spore and the little thing that dangles uh-huh. in front of a kilt. Okay. Um, the little the the, mm-hmm. the leather pouch purse pulls out a snake bite kit sure. in Jack's self. Pulls out a twelve-inch dagger. Not sure how that got in there. <laughs> Collapsible. Pulls out a live mongoose. Sure. Which you set down because they don't like snakes. They'll find the snake. And, bonus spoiler alert, still has room in there for a hand grenade. Wow, that's a hell of a spawn. It's like a um, mm-hmm. Mary Poppins purse. <laughs> yes. Yes, this is... Mary Poppins fell on hard times. She had to hawk some things. She had they to went hawk places. some things, and she loved that sporin, <laughs> but it had an expandable charm on it, and so it could fit yeah. your blade, your mongoose, and mm-hmm. so many things. Your entire arsenal, which must have been very interesting to obtain under British law. Oh, man. The whole thing is just that over the top, but this thing we're doing yeah. right here... We're inventing the backstory. We're filling in all of the blanks, and wow, there are blanks. Sure. It was just so enthusiastically, what the hell is this, that we could do that and have a wonderful time. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Mortal Kombat. You just, you're not willing to go there like Peter and Huey. So much of these B-movies are overdubbed, which is also, which adds Mm -hmm. an interesting quality to it because... The lips don't quite match the the words, and the sound quality is different from scene to scene. Yep. And um, accents waver, and choices are different. Like, wait, weren't you Russian in that previous scene? And okay, now you're American again? Or what's happening? And these are not choices, mind you. At least not choices that <laughs> seem to have any rhyme or reason. Yeah. It's like everybody was freaking out and having fun when... A Starbucks cup turned up in Game of Thrones. Now imagine a Game of Thrones set, which is basically throwing vaguely perioded throw rugs Mm -hmm. on top of Starbucks cups. (laughs) Are you referring to cave dwellers? God, have so you, many. Have you seen Cave Dwellers, the movie? I don't think... I've heard of this. I think I've seen pieces out of an MST, but I don't think I've seen it proper. Yeah, it was. I've only seen the MST3K one of it. And uh, what I loved about it and what my biggest takeaway was... So they were in a castle. Um, I believe this one had a castle. 
and it had handrails in the castle. And we're supposed to be in ye old days, mind you. No, mm. no handrails, typically, back in the day. No. I might be getting that wrong for folks who are like, well, I can't believe you're misremembering cave dwellers. Sorry. <laughs> it's been a Y'all while. Y'all didn't see these handrails. <laughs> these handrails right? were mind-boggling. <laughs> there's not a lot of caves which were trying to be ADA compliant. Exactly. It's like we don't we don't see the ramps, but we look at the attention to the handrails and we just know you just showed up to a tourist attraction with a bunch of cameras and said, quick, before they get us. Yeah, real quick. One of the best film books that I've run across, and maybe this no, this one I'll stand for, was uh Rebel Without a Crew, which is a oh. memoir by Robert Rodriguez. Uh it's edited production diaries from making El Mariachi. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And Rodriguez, he's sitting there, he's thinking, you know, uh, you know, he's got family in Mexico, he's living in the States, mm-hmm. got both languages cold, and he decides he wants to get into film. He's been making things for years. He needs to go as cheap as possible, so he's just going to study production value. What exactly gives people the impression that a movie is well-made and expensive. Oh. And the sentence is actually there, that I wanted to make a movie for $10,000 that looked like it cost $30,000, so I could tell people I needed at least $50,000 to do a sequel. Okay. But what he well winds, done. Yeah. And what he winds up with is just a genuinely good movie made with that spirit of, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. But the details of this book, he's just so smooth and so perceptive about putting it together. He joined a, uh, a depression medication study, mm-hmm. which was inpatient. Oh. Everybody is being dosed with things and regularly being checked with doctors. You don't know if you're on the placebo or not. Okay. Uh, he reversed his sleep schedule and made a deal with one of the orderlies where he would give the orderly a list of movies and money. And the orderly would go to the ne- uh, nearby video store. Mm-hmm would bring back those movies, and then he's flipped his sleep schedule. So when everyone else is asleep, he's watching all of the movies and making notes, doing his study on what creates production value and what's a plot that he could actually make. Starts putting together this gangster movie uh, of the mariachi coming to this town in Mexico that is run by this terrible gang, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, of course, being run by a gringo. Mm. Because he's got one guy, a friend of his in the medication study, who reminds him of the number one henchman in all of these (laughs) B-movies. It's like, I want you to be in my movie. And the guy tells him. remind me of a henchman. And the guy's like, great. I'd love to do it. That sounds fun. I don't speak a word of Spanish. He goes, okay, we're going to spell it phonetically, and you're going to have sunglasses in every scene so the audience can't tell that you are reading a card <laughs> hidden somewhere in the frame. You've got this whole scene where he's giving orders while on a float in a pool, and he's got his hand crooked a little bit because there is phonetic Spanish written on his, on his hand, hand, and they're hiding it behind the shades. Yeah. You know, when he... Went to film, Mm -hmm. he gave bit parts, you know, he sat down all of the biggest leaders in the town and gave them all bit parts. Oh. The number one news station, they're on board. The anchorman's in it. 
Awesome. The mayor's in the movie somewhere. I think the police chief is in there. This is brilliant. He's a yeah. genius. There's all these super savvy little pieces of being really perceptive about film. Like the, the way he had this insight that every time the camera moves, you perceive it as value. Seeing lots of different angles mm. in a scene creates a sense of value. So what he realized is if you change the zoom, you get the same sense. But you huh. don't have to move the camera and reset your lighting. So he would get change the right, zoom. He would get one person talking, and whenever that person was, you know, when the camera had to be going to the other speaker, mm-hmm. he would adjust the zoom. Clever. He's getting what feels like five times the coverage out of the same number of setups. Like this Brilliant. is the kind of thing that a scrappy person without money, who's just got to be perceptive and on the ball and trying stuff, figures yeah. out. In a movie land, you have people for that and you throw money at that unless you learned it somewhere. But these are the kinds of places where people learn it. Peter Jackson got to start doing B-movies. He sure did. And oh, are they B. This was the guy who made Bad Taste. Literally the name of his first movie. I don't know it. I've never seen it or heard of it. Uh, This was made over like three years of weekends. They were competing with his mother's casseroles. Because uh, you, you had to bake the foam for their alien masks. So they were competing with his mother's casseroles and baking habits on weekends for his oven access. In order to film a movie about New Zealand's finest alien infiltration response team. Because no one's picking up the phones in this small town. Oh, dear. And that could be aliens. Spoiler alert. It is aliens. It is? Representatives of McFargles, the Quadrant's third greatest fast food outlet. And now with this harvest of human, we can get them approved as safe for intergalactic consumption. Peter Jackson, without a beard, is Mm. one of the alien hunters who falls off a cliff early in the movie. Oh, no. Cracks his head on a rock. Oh, dear. And his response to having a head that can flop open now (laughs) is to pull his hat down really tight. (laughs) And Reg is just getting a little wackier as this goes on. Peter Jackson with a beard is alien henchman number one. Oh. Because all alien hench people wear blue denim and slightly dark jeans and don't speak, but just run around trying to catch people. Wow. How old was Peter Jackson when he did this? I'm not sure. I'm guessing mid-twenties. Oh, my God. I mean, you can compare the shaved states, but... Yeah, well, you mentioned his mom's oven, so that makes me think that he's living at home. Uh, yeah. Wow. So he's just just doing it, just running up and doing it. I mean, I think of... Um, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? No, no, no. Um, I was thinking... I love the movie Ed Wood, um, mm-hmm. which is about Ed Wood. I have no idea how accurate it is, but... It's that ingenuity of like, okay, we don't have a permit for this block, so everyone look sharp for about 15 minutes, 
do a take, run away, run away, run away. And so, you know, how, how to do things on a dime. That's another example of like name first and then we'll worry about the plot. Then we'll worry about money. Then we'll worry about actors and writing and all this stuff. But let's get our feet on the ground and just start running, which is the uh, core theme of this podcast as well Mm -hmm. is Sarah, don't worry about making it perfect. (laughs) Just do something, anything, literally just try. Make it. (laughs) Make Make it. it. And then make the next it. Can we talk about Doom? Yes. Doom Majale, Doom Majale, Doom Majale, Doom Majale. We don't need any other words. These are so much fun. Any movie where it's, I think it translates as create excitement. Create excitement, it does. And they have so much confidence in that that when they do something visually cool, the score will just go doom, 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 doom. Oh, this movie. Okay. First, it, it is a Bollywood film. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so it's it's made likely in Mumbai. A Bollywood franchise. It's a, Oh, it's a Bollywood franchise. That's There's right. There's three of them. There are three of them. They multiplied. I've only had the pleasure of seeing the second one and half of the first one. And I'm, I'm hesitant to speak too much about it um, as a B-movie just because I don't want to come off as across as um, culturally... Yeah. stupid because so much because because bollywood's going to be very different than movies from here versus uh you know like kung fu films in hong kong yeah. and and things like that so but this particular film uh patrick's co-worker mentioned that we were watching it and she said oh my god that is like the terrible fast and the furious of the of the Bollywood universe. We make fun of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um and and she she knows uh, a vast more about uh Bollywood films than I do, certainly. Every, literally anyone would. Um <laughs> but she said it's really bad. So I'm like, okay, so we can tease it a bit. Cause it's really intense, but it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It is all the commitment and all the energy and all the craftsmanship. And look what they're committed to. It's it's just so it's so they're having so much fun with the craziest things. Yeah, you know what's fun? I love a it. train robbery. Do you know what's fun? Uh, snowboarding on the sand dunes behind the train. Do you know what's fun? Motorcycles. <laughs> like- <laughs> I mean, sure, maybe our arch villain and master thief is a master of disguise, which leads to things like an oddly mannish queen of England at the True. beginning, who might be impersonated, so that you can rip off a mask, rip <laughs> off a pink overcoat. Reveal your riding leathers of escape underneath and sandboard off a train to safety. Guys, it's the opening scene. Yeah, that's the first five minutes. That's where you begin. This is like, this is the overture. We're just going to set the stage. We're not going to go too big because we know where we're going. And I just looked at that and I thought, you are just here to have fun. And I am there for that. Yeah. And the, and the, the. My favorite character is the uh, the sidekick guy. I love him. I think he's great. The one who falls in love, like with yeah. literally every woman that he sees, and and plans out. He plans out these futures, so you get flashes of his futures of what they look like when they're married and have kids and are like on the beach running yep. together. And spoiler alert: every one of these my future with a person fantasies begins with him on his motorcycle yes. and her behind him. It's true. And then it's them on the motorcycle. In wedding ga- dress. In wedding outfit, in wedding gear, and it's gorgeous and... Like, yeah, you have enough <sighs> conviction that your dream of the future is a motorcycle wedding. 
plus, plus, besides the fact that this plot is insane and whatever happened to that lady cop after the intermission, she was gone. She was just gone. Yeah, they basically realized that their anti-hero love triangle just didn't leave room. Okay. I would describe Doom 1, it's like, imagine if the Fast and the Furious and musical theater got super drunk. Mm-hmm. And this is the Bollywood child of that union. Yeah. And years later, that that's going to hook up with Mission Impossible. <laughs> God. And like a Batman movie. That's, and like Ocean's 13. Yeah. Or Ocean's 11, sorry. And you throw in one of the Batmans where he's really torn about his relationship with someone from the civilian world. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you are just trying to do everything you think is cool. And I have to respect that. And it's awesome. You'll give it a shot. And it's there's something there. And there's, it's, an, it's action-packed. It has the most gorgeous people you'll ever see on this earth in mm-hmm. it, and beautiful scenes, and not to mention, there's just singing and dancing every 20 minutes or so. Yeah. And that's that, I think, is a huge perk for anything ever, is adding beautiful singing and dancing. And these dance numbers are no joke. No. they. This is a huge budgeted film, I imagine. I mean, it seems there are some campy parts of it, I guess, but oh, like... Yeah. but. Oh man, so good. Oh, I just finished it. That's why it's on the top of my mind. And I, I told Tim um, <laughs> when he let me borrow it, I'm like, I'm going to watch this when I'm sad. <laughs> because it's the perfect thing to watch when you're sad because you can't be sad and watch Doom, 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 Doom 2. Like uh, they have energy to spare, they have cheer to spare. Yeah. And it's actually something I've heard from a few people in different places. Like, oh, uh, yeah? Bruce Campbell, who did a ton of B stuff. Oh, yeah. On and off through his whole career. And this is a guy who I think had once been quoted in an interview as saying, I've been an actor for 30-some years now, and what people want more of is that idiot Ash. <laughs> so we're making a series. Yep. But uh, he has this uh, a couple of memoirs out, and I think – there was one where he mentioned getting a letter from a guy who said that every time this guy had a really bad day, mm-hmm. he went home and, you know, if he wasn't going to be able to meet up with any friends, if he was single at the time, he would go home and he would put in his copy of Evil Dead 2. And he would watch somebody have a worse day in hilarious ways <laughs> and he would laugh a bunch and feel better. <laughs> This is a deeply unconventional path to happiness. But for that guy in that moment, that's a path. And yeah. To me, part of that whole spirit of the B-movie thing is don't look down on that Mm-mm. just because there are aspects of it which are B. This is a thing that worked for somebody. And yeah. that's cool. There's something to that. If it doesn't work for you, okay, learn what there is to learn, get a story out of it, and move on. I mean, look at The Room. So The mm-hmm. Room by, uh, was it Johnny Wiseau? Um, I think, yeah. Or Tommy. Tommy, Tom, Tommy Wiseau, yeah. Tommy yeah. Wiseau. It is a colossal, oh, what do I want to say? I don't want to say failure because it's not. Yeah, it, it. he did exactly what he set out to do. He sure did. 
And it's insane. This movie, The Room, um, you may be familiar with it itself or the movie, the, the making of it, which was The Disaster Artist, The Disaster Artist with uh, James Franco. And it's really, that movie's lovely because it's about a charming friendship and like how the, how the room was made. And there you see this ideal American life that he he thinks exists mm-hmm. and thinks should be real and and is living that life and you know having the money and I'm just sorry hello kitty I'm sorry I'm just thinking about when he goes to the convenience oh hi Mark store. oh hi Mark yeah when when I first was introduced to the room we actually had a competition afterwards to see who could give the most the most Wasovian oh hi oh hi oh hi Mark oh hi uh callers uh, call in this live podcast. Um, oh, hi. Hi, Mark. Um, oh, but that is to say my friend Chase got me into it and then got <laughs> Patrick into it. And then so it's this beautiful network of friends hooking friends up with something. They're like, listen, I can't explain this well enough. You have to see it with your own eyes to yeah. really behold what this is. And what is it? Who knows? <laughs> Which is always kind of funny to me because, like, my parents are not that at all. Oh, okay. And so there will be places where I'll have a story of a thing. I'm like, no, there is something here. This is what I got from that. This was the unexpected fun. And they're just looking at me like, so you liked the, the new Godzilla movie? <laughs> okay. But th- there is that piece of just because you shot for something that looks ridiculous doesn't mean that it was nothing for you. And it doesn't mean that there wasn't something that your audience could get, True. which they maybe wouldn't see anywhere else. And it, it might not actually be of the movie. It might just be of the moment you saw that. Mm-hmm. You had yeah. the bad day and you put in the Bruce Campbell, you know? Yeah. But sometimes you're in the right place for a thing to be something for you. I just... The world is big. Why turn away from the weird corners? That's beautiful. That's really lovely, Tim. Um, because we're here for the joy of the bee. Yeah. And I love the bee. The spirit of the bee, wherever the, it comes. The spirit of the bee. Well, thank you so much for joining me here today. Any last thoughts, feelings, stories you want to share before we sign off? Uh, you've heard a bunch of good things. Just uh, for me... It's being willing to explore. Okay. And sometimes that's 10 minutes with something that you have no expectation, but maybe you heard people talking about it. Just leave room to be surprised, y'all. It's a big, crazy world. I love it. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about the lovely world of bee, the yeah. spirit of the bee, the world of the bee. And... um in my classy fashion, I invite you to join me for musical arm farts. All right, y'all. I have never successfully whistled. I am <laughs> terrible at snapping. <laughs> I am, in general, very bad at making sounds. I also wore a long sleeve shirt. The rest of But you rolled here. up the sleeve. So here we oh, go. Oh, yeah. The sleeve is rolled up. I am like 50% of the way to a massively underworked out Steven Seagal here. <laughs> here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell that last one was Doom Majale? <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> well, while you were doing Duma Chale, I was utterly screwing up the 20th Century Fox Overture. Oh, <laughs> 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 Well, we're exhausted. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Okay, bye. My arm is so wet. <laughs> <laughs> Yay.